Amen. It is a powerful name. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from verses 12 to 20 in the New Revised Standard Version. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for being able to just come before you, recognizing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that he is with us. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will speak to our hearts and our minds through this word. Open our understanding to receive it and apply it. And give me, O oh Lord, your thoughts to be my own. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are beneficial. Anybody heard that before? Anybody? All things are lawful to me, but not all things are beneficial. How many of us have heard that before? Raise your hand because people didn't respond. Have you heard that before ever? No? Some of you haven't. Okay. So if you've never heard that before, this is a very well-known verse from Paul. It's famous and it gets quoted a lot. And a lot of times people don't understand what it means for everything to be lawful for us, but not all things to be beneficial. So I'll give you a really good example. I got to witness this lived out in last night's NFL wildcard game between the Browns and Kansas City. If you saw the game, it was negative seven at the start of the game with a windshield that made it feel like negative 20s. In the middle of that cold, cold temperature, sub-freezing, some fans decided it would be a great idea to take off their shirts and go shirtless. This is the definition of all things are lawful for me, but not all things are good for me. If they hadn't kept moving the whole game and cheering on, they would have frozen to death right where they were. Was this lawful and permitted? 
Apparently it was. None of them got kicked out of the stadium. Nobody came and told them to put their shirt on. Nobody told them they had to do differently. Yet I guarantee you in hindsight, those fans today are regretting their decision yesterday. They're probably still feeling the effects of that bad decision. This decision clearly wasn't good for their bodies. It probably wasn't good for their image if they got put on social media afterwards. It was just a bad decision all the way around. In our scripture today, Paul tells us that we have been given freedom to do all things. That in Jesus Christ, we have been given the freedom to choose what we do, how we do it, when we do it. In fact, if you read all of Paul's writing, when he's writing to the churches and to the early believers, he makes it clear that in Jesus Christ, we have been taken from the bondage of sin into freedom in Christ. That there is a change there in which we are brought to a freedom that we have never experienced before. However, at the same time, we are told that Jesus calls us to discipleship, to use our freedom to follow him, to use our freedom to make choices that will honor him, to use our freedom to show the world that we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So in other words, our freedom is there, but we're supposed to use it wisely, use it in ways that really show what we believe in Jesus Christ. So why is Paul writing about this to the Corinthians? What was the big debate regarding Christian freedom in Paul's time in these Gentile churches that he was beginning? Why are they talking about Christian freedom and what it means for them? Well, one of the issues, particularly at Corinth, was that some were arguing over the food that they were allowed to eat. You have to remember that Corinth was a city full of pagan temples where food was sacrificed to idols and then sold in the back market so that people would buy it and consume it. And some Christians felt that because these idols were not real gods, that eating the food sacrificed to idols didn't matter, that they should be able to eat it. Other Christians felt that eating that food sacrificed to idols could send the wrong message to others, that it could signal to others an act of worship or of faith in those false gods, and that therefore, as Christians, they should not eat it at all. You would think that Paul would want to settle this argument and tell them one way or the other what they need to do. But he really doesn't do that. Oftentimes, Paul doesn't believe in just telling you right out to do one thing or another because he wants you to use your Christian conscience. So he reminds them that food is food. It's meant for the body. It's meant to be eaten. And, you know, if you look through Scripture, it tells you it goes in one way, it goes out the other. All food does it the same way. Yet at the same time, he expresses to them that our freedom to do all things doesn't necessarily mean that all things that we do are beneficial to us or to others. That there is a balance that needs to be maintained be be between our use of freedom and our concern for the well-being of others and for our witness in Jesus Christ. But I believe Paul was, was concerned that they were too focused on the food issue 
that they were too concerned on this particular issue and they were missing the greater picture. So rather than staying just with the argument over food, he brings up the issue of our general use of our bodies. When we come to believe in Jesus, we don't just give him our heart. We don't just give him our mind. We also commit our body and our soul to him. We give everything about ourselves to God. And Paul basically says that the entirety of who we are belongs to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if you look up the word Lord and its usage throughout Scripture, the word Lord means total and full surrender and control. That when you give yourself over to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you give yourself fully, completely to him. Paul says that our body is not meant for sexual immorality. That was not God's design for us. That's not what God intended or desired for us. But since we have freedom in Christ, some people in Corinth were proposing that what we do with our bodies really doesn't matter. After all, when you die, your body doesn't go with you. You're going to experience a new body, a resurrected body. So what does it matter? what I do with my body in this life. This argument was one that Paul strongly disagreed with. He says that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for God, that God has a design and a purpose for our bodies. And it is tied directly to Christ, to Jesus, and to the rest of ourselves being united with Christ. Think about it. Jesus doesn't just say, you know, give me a part of you and you keep the rest. Give me a section of your life and you keep the rest. He doesn't say hand over your spiritual life and keep your finances. He doesn't say hand over your heart and leave your body out. He doesn't say give me your mind, but you know your actions are your own. He says, I want all of you. I want the totality of who you are. Everything to be surrendered to become a servant and a follower of Jesus means to deny ourselves completely. But that's hard to do. The body is not the first thing that God has given us that we have misused. Think about other things that God has given us and we have not used properly. The law is a really good example. The law was given to the people of Israel so that they would know what was right and what was wrong, and when they were doing things wrong, that they were sinning before God, so that they could do things correctly. How did they use the law? They used it as a checklist. They used it as something to compare themselves to each other, and to be able to say, ha, I don't break that commandment like you do, and put each other down. That was not the intention of God when he gave the law. That was not the design or the desire. The law was to point us to our sin so that we could repent of it and be made right with God. To bring us back to repentance and to restoring our relationship. But that's not how people used it. Christian freedom is about using everything about ourselves, including our bodies, to bring glory to God. Just as our bodies were not designed to go shirtless in sub-freezing temperatures, Paul says they were not designed by God to engage in sexual immorality. Instead, Paul tells us that 
we should know that our bodies are actually temples of the Holy Spirit that is within us. He says that we have received from God His Spirit and that we are no longer our own. And you know, the, the story that I told the kids is true. My uncle literally moved in and changed everything in our house. And when the Holy Spirit moves into your life, he changes everything in your house. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you act. He changes the way you use your resources. He changes the way you use your body. He changes the way you use your words. He changes even the way you think. Because we have to be transformed into a new creation in Christ. We are no longer our own. And Paul says that, in fact, we are so much not our own that Jesus bought us at a great price on the cross, giving his own body to save ours. That's how much we are not our own. Jesus paid the price to redeem us, not just your heart, not just your mind, not just your soul, but also your body. We belong to him. And he lives in us. And you know, when I thought about this, I thought about marriage. You know, when you get married, you stand before a crowd of people and you say, I do. Most of the time, we don't really realize how much that I do really means. That I do means I no longer live for myself only. I also live for you. I live so that we can accomplish things together. I live so that we can love each other. I live so that we can form a family together. I live for all the things that we're going to have in common. And I have to almost deny myself in that I do because I can no longer just do whatever I want. My wife's back there. She can tell you, you can no longer just do whatever you want. Doesn't work. You're now married and you're now accountable to each other. You are united in a way that, 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 that is special and establishes a bond. And Paul was saying, when you come to Christ, it is the same kind of relationship. You belong to him. He belongs to you. And now that you are his, you can't just go on and do whatever you want. You have to follow his will. And then he says, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and to be with us. As if it wasn't enough. He moves in through the Holy Spirit to live with us. It is daunting to think that we house the Holy Spirit. To me, at least, it is just mind-blowing that the Spirit of God dwells inside of us when we come to believe in Jesus Christ. But that is exactly the promise of the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was promised to the church, Jesus, when he ascended, he told his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you by yourselves. You know, God knew we couldn't be left to our own devices. We'd get in trouble. He knew that we were going to need help. He knew that we needed a counselor. He said, I'm not leaving you by yourself. The Holy Spirit will come and will dwell with you and you will be its temple. You're going to hold it in you. It's going to be part of you. It's going to be my everlasting presence until I return with you. And if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, then Paul says, then your body should be used in ways 
that will glorify God. I want to tell you something today. You're not a bed and breakfast, and you're not a vacation home. The Holy Spirit is not coming to spend a few days with you and then go away. He doesn't just spend weekends with you and then leave you alone for the rest of the week. The scripture says that he comes to dwell, to live with you day in and day out. And I can tell you that that makes a huge difference. My uncle had visited many, many times. He had griped and complained about our untidiness and how we don't keep things clean. But it wasn't until he moved in that things changed. When the Holy Spirit moves in, he dwells with us. It's not a temporary setup. It's not for a while. It's not certain days of the week. It's a permanent dwelling and being with us. And what does it, that mean exactly? Well, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm having guests, I clean up. I do the dishes. I try not to have messes out, you know, because they're going to come visit. But when somebody comes to move in with you, you actually have to make room for them in your house. You have to clear out a space for them to live in. You have to make room for a closet space for their clothes. You have to make space for them in your home in every possible way. And think about that. That's exactly what happens when you get married, right? My space becomes our space. There's no longer just my space, there's our space, and it all belongs to us together. And when you come to the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what happened. He moves in fully. Well, you know, you can't just put your first best foot forward for a couple of days and say, I've done it, I'm done, good. No, this is a permanent arrangement. Paul is basically saying, if we do that much for a guest coming in, how much more should we do for the Holy Spirit when he moves into our bodies and becomes a permanent resident with us. The presence of God living day in and day out in our lives. If our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, keep it clean. Keep it for the glory of God. Keep it dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep using it in ways that promote the kingdom of God just as you are called to use everything in your life for that purpose. Everything about us should be giving a witness to Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand that Paul is using the body as an example of this because the Corinthians were struggling and arguing about the body and about things related to the body. But he clearly believes that this also applies to the mind, the body, the soul, and everything about us. That the totality of who we are is surrendered to Jesus when he becomes our Lord and our Savior. You know, you don't clean your house just once and say, I did it this year, it's done. You clean it on a regular basis because it gets dirty. And the other thing that this brings up to me is the need for us to continually come before the Holy Spirit and say, help me clean. Is there anything in my life 
that is not pleasing to God? Is there anything in my life that is sinful? Is there any thought that needs to be held captive? Is there anything that I need to surrender that is getting in the way of my walk with Jesus? And then we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us clean that out. You know, it's no good to make a checklist of all the messes in your house and then never do anything about them. You have to actually put it into action. It's not just confess your sin before him. It's allow him then to transform you in those areas that you need to work on. And it's to continue to let him do it with you. Finally, I want to leave you with a final thought. If your house gets dirty or messy, you have to take time to clean it. You have to set apart time to take care of it. You have to decide that you're going to do something about it. And there's always something you can do to better your house. Anybody here own a house and there's always something to do? I mean, come on. There's always something that can be improved. Am I right? This is why we as Christians continue to move towards Christian perfection because every single day there is something that could be cleaned, something that could be made better, something that could bring us closer in our walk with Jesus, and there is sin that needs to be forgiven and presented to God, and there's things in our life that have to change. And at the end of the day, our ultimate goal should be to glorify God in everything, including our bodies, and that every single day, we're getting closer and closer in our walk with Jesus. In order to do that, we need to discern what Paul began with in this scripture, what he began with in this scripture at the very beginning. We need to know that even though all things are lawful for us, not all things are beneficial. That you might be allowed to jump off the roof, but it's not a good idea. That you might be able to do certain things, but not all of them will benefit your walk with Jesus. And that you might be allowed to do all kinds of things, but not all of them will help your neighbor or someone else know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. As Christians, we must discern what is beneficial to our walk with Jesus and what is not. And we need to learn to use the Holy Spirit to guide us so that it's not just me thinking what is best, but it's God revealing to me what is best through his Holy Spirit. Like the kids said at the end of the day, we have to listen to God. Because if you don't do that, you can't do anything on your own. If you could clean the house by yourself, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need God. But none of us can do it by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God. Today, I'm going to open the altar for prayer. And my hope is that you will come and tell Jesus what still needs to be worked on in your life. You might not have it figured out. You might not ex know exactly what needs to happen in that area. That's what your prayer is for. Your prayer is to ask God to reveal to you, to, to give you discernment, to know what areas and what things in your life you need to present before him so that he can transform them, so that he can work on them. 
And I got good news for you. If you come to Jesus, he doesn't just work on that area. He remodels and transforms your life. And he makes you a new creation in him. Let us open the altar and invite everybody to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you because it challenges us not to separate ourselves into different parts and just give you some parts, but to give ourselves fully and totally to you, to invite your Holy Spirit to truly dwell and live with us day in and day out. I ask, O oh Lord, that as people come to this altar, your Holy Spirit will come upon them and speak to them what they need to hear in their particular lives. And I ask, O oh Lord, that we will take that and we will act on it, Lord. That we will not just hear, but that we will do what you call us to do. And that we will allow you to transform our lives from the inside out. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the honor of hosting it in our lives. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to have it dwell with us. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is open as we worship.